Hosea chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, and then we'll also continue to chapter 2, verse 1. So Hosea 1, 8 to chapter 2, 1. The word of God says, When she had weaned lo Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. Here we have the word of the Lord from Hosea. And as a reminder, Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. He is writing as a contemporary of Isaiah and Joel and Amos and those other prophets as well. He is writing um, near the destruction of the northern kingdom, the northern tribes, also called the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel was, um, was started by Jeroboam I, or Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, after the northern tribe rebelled. And he was a wicked king, just like every other king after him. All of the kings of the kingdom of Israel were wicked and evil and did evil on the side of the Lord. And that's important because the king, the one who rules over the people, is the representative of the people. When the king does righteousness, then the people are restrained from doing wickedness and they do more righteousness. When the king does wickedness and does evil, then the people themselves do evil and they are spurred on towards sinning. And that's why we have the books of 1st and 2nd Kings to show that. So let's turn to 1st Kings to see an example of this with Jeroboam himself. Again, he was the first king of the kingdom of Israel and he was evil. 1st Kings chapter 14. In 1st Kings 14, Jeroboam's son is sick and he sends his wife to a prophet to go inquire about what will happen to his son. And the prophet gives a judgment from the Lord on the king. 1 Kings 14, verse 7. This is the word of the Lord from the prophet to Jeroboam. It says, Go say to Jeroboam, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only, to do only that which was right in my sight. You also have done more evil than all who were before you. And have gone and made for yourself other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. So here we see the king. God gave this kingdom to Jeroboam, but what did he do with it? He didn't uh, listen to the word of the Lord. He didn't act like David, the righteous king, the one after God's own heart. But he did evil by provoking Israel to unrighteousness and making false gods. Gods that claimed to be the true God, but they were molten images, which God had directly commanded not to do in Exodus chapter 20. And then skip down to verse 15, 1 Kings 14, 15. It says, For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and he will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers, and will scatter them beyond the Euphrates River, because they have made their ashram, provoking the Lord to anger. He will give up Israel on account of the sins of Jeroboam, which he committed, and with which he made Israel to sin. Here it says that Jeroboam made Israel to sin. It was Jeroboam's sin, but he caused the nation, the people, to commit the sin with him because he was the representative of the people. He was the ruler of the people. And with his wicked reign, all of the people, not not literally everyone, but most of the nation followed in his wickedness. <clears throat> and we read uh, a few weeks ago in Second Chronicles twenty-eight nineteen that King Ahaz was supposed to be the one who restrained the people. It says that Ahaz brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. So the kings are supposed to restrain the people's evil and promote righteousness. But Jeroboam was the prototype, the, the microcosm of all of the kings of the nation, that every king after him in the northern kingdom was wicked like him. And it's for this reason that God judged the people, that God judged the nation. We've seen in the rest of chapter 1 of Hosea that God is giving signs to the people through Hosea. He made Hosea a sign to the people. First, he tells him to marry a wife of harlotry and, and have children of harlotry. This sign 
plus the second sign of naming the firstborn son Jezreel are God's witnesses, his witnesses of the sins of the people. They are harlots. They do not uh, follow the Lord, but in fact, they are going after idols, spiritual harlotry, spiritual adultery. And then Jezreel because of the bloodshed of Jezreel. So they are harlots and they are full of bloodshed, murderous adulterers. This is who they are. This is God's witnesses. As it says in Deuteronomy 19.15, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. And these are God's witnesses. And these are the signs God made for the people. The next two signs that God gives are his verdict, his judgment, his certificate of divorce for the people. The first of which is the birth of his second child, which he names Lo Ruchamah, meaning no compassion, that God will no longer have compassion on the nation, on the people of Israel. And then the, the last one is naming the third child Lo Ami, saying that they are not his people. This is his certificate of divorce, sending them away, saying they are no longer his people. And now we see this also in, in chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, that God is sending them away because of their harlotry. But then the question arises, then what, what about God's promises? Didn't God promise to be their God and for them to be his people forever? Isn't that the whole point of the Bible? The, the theme of the Bible is God making a people for himself, for his own possession. So then what is happening here? Why do we have a nation that used to be God's people, that claimed to be God's people, but are no longer God's people? Well, we will see that this is God summing up all things in Christ. As it says in Ephesians 1.10, the summing up of all things in Christ. God's plan and purpose has always been from the beginning to, to accomplish all things in Christ and make a people through him. And we'll see this in, in many passages that from the beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God is making a people for himself. And this was his, his plan from the beginning. It's not as if he had a plan A and then switched to plan B and then plan C. It was his plan from the very beginning to make a people for himself in Christ. So let's turn to Hosea 1, 8 through 9. It said, When she had lo, a weaned lo Ruchamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him lo Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Again, this is God declaring his judgment upon them. They claim to be God's people, but here he says, name him Lo-Ami. Ami means my people, and Lo means not or no, saying that they are not his people. This is a righteous judgment from the living God. Can you imagine hearing from the God of the Bible, the God who made all things, saying to you, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is a terrifying judgment, one that should cause us to tremble. But how is this so? Let's first show that indeed they were the people of God temporarily and that this was God's doing. Let's go back to Genesis to see this. First, we'll go to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we have the creation of the world, God creating all things, and he creates man. And so Adam and Eve in the garden are in fact the first people of God. They were to be God's people, but they sinned and rebelled, just like Israel, as it says in Hosea 6-7, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Genesis 1, 27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man in his own image, and he was to spread throughout the globe, throughout the earth, bringing God's image everywhere. They are to be God's people, God's sons and daughters. But of course, we know what happened in Genesis 3, that they transgressed and they rebelled. And then what did God do? God exiled them and sent them away from the garden, away from his land, away from his garden, which is, again, exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. God put them in a, a land flowing with milk and honey, and then he exiled them to the east. Uh, moving on in Genesis, <clears throat> going to specifically the, the nation of Israel, Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, we have the covenant 
of circumcision given to Abraham. And here is the beginning of God's covenant with the people of Israel, the the nation of Israel, the people of Abraham according to the flesh. Genesis 17, verse 6. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So here God makes a promise, which is at least in some ways fulfilled in the people of Israel, the people born from Abraham according to the flesh, that he promised to be a God to them. He says right there in verse 7, to be God to you and to your seed after you. And then in verse 8, for and I will be their God. And we also see, if you skip over to verse 14, Genesis 17, 14, it says, but an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So there, God is making a people and he is becoming their God. This was his plan. This was his purpose. Now we also go to Exodus to show this, that when God made the nation of Israel, he was making a covenant with them to be their God and to make them his people. Exodus chapter 6. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel, giving a message from the Lord. Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8. Exodus 6, 6, he says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord." So when he, like a father bringing a child by the hand, when he brings them out of the land of Egypt, he says, I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God because of all of the miracles that he did by judging the Egyptians and bringing them out. Again, this is God making a covenant, making a people for himself from the nation of Israel. But... It's not an unconditional covenant, as if they were his people no matter what happened. And we'll see this in Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah 7, verse 21, that God was not making a, a, a covenant that was going to last forever, as if they would, the nation of Israel would always be his people. But it was conditioned, conditioned on their obedience. Jeremiah 7, verse 21 Jeremiah 7, 21. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people and you will walk in all the way which I command you that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. So there we have God telling Jeremiah that when he brought the people out of Egypt, that he was going to be their God and they would be his people, but they must walk in all the way that God commanded them so that it would go well with them. But that's not what happened. Instead, they rebelled and they disobeyed and they went after other gods and they were exiled out of the land. They were to have um, children, uh, children of the Lord, that they were to, um, to give to the Lord and dedicate to the Lord. In Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel 16, 20, God says that the children that were born to them were his children. But instead of dedicating to them to, them to the Lord, they dedicated them to idols, which is fitting for our sign of Hosea that... Um, he was to have children of harlotry because this is what God accuses them in Ezekiel 16, 20. 
Ezekiel 16, 20, he says, Moreover, you took your sons and daughters, whom you had borne to me, and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotries so small a matter? You slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Besides all your abominations and harlotries, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and squirming in your blood. So we see that just because they were God's people, that God made them a people, does not mean that they could live however they pleased. They were to dedicate themselves to the Lord. They were to dedicate their children to the Lord, not offer them up to idols, even murdering them for the sake of idols. And this is important if we go to Ezekiel 36, because when we take the name of God on our lips, when we claim to be Christians, just like they claimed to be the nation of Israel, we're claiming the name of God. We're claiming God among us. And so when we sin, we are blaspheming the Lord. We are breaking a vow unto the Lord. Ezekiel 36 verse 16 shows us this, that God is not pleased with these things and that the reason why he acts is for the sake of his great name. Ezekiel 36 verse 16. Ezekiel 36 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land, because they had defiled it with their idols. Also I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name, because it was said of them, These are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. God's name is profaned when his people are judged and chastised for their wickedness. They were supposed to live in his land, and they were the people of the Lord. But they had been exiled. They had been spit out of the land because of their evil deeds. And so we should tremble when we take the name of God upon our lips. As it says in in Hebrews 10, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. We, We must not take it lightly that God's name is upon us, that we bear the name Christian. We must tread carefully to obey his commandments because we are representing God in the world. We are to be the light of the world and salt in this world, not um, examples of wickedness. And another point to make is that just because people claim God's name, just because people claim to be God's people doesn't mean that it's true. We can say it all that we want, just as the people of Israel said, or the people of Judah in Jeremiah's day, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But just because the temple of the Lord was in their midst doesn't mean that God would not judge them for their sin. And let's look at some passages throughout both the Old and the New Testament to show that just because someone claims to be God's people does not make it so. Uh, First, let's go back to Psalm, uh, the Psalm, Psalm 139. Psalm 139 19. Here, this is a psalm of David. And this is the passage of the psalm that most people skip over in various songs and other things because it's not, it doesn't fit well with what they're wanting to do in their songs. Psalm 139, verse 19. David says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Here he says, your enemies take your name in vain. They take the name of God. They claim to be his people, but actually they are his enemies. And God cannot be fooled. He cannot be mocked. He will indeed judge those who take his name in vain. Now let's turn to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. In the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declares this truth as well, Matthew 7, 21. As we know, Christ is the one who will judge the world with righteousness and inequity. And here he tells us what will happen on the day of judgment. Matthew 7, 21. 
Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There will be people who will claim to be to belong to Jesus, to belong to Christ, to have his name. They will say, Lord, Lord. And do not Christians say, Lord, Lord? Of course they do. But here, they even did prophecies. They cast out demons and they performed miracles. But Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. This is like Hosea 1, uh, 9, when God says, Lo, Ami, I, you are not my people and I am not your God. Christ is declaring to them, I never knew you. You are not my people. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Just like the people of Israel practicing lawlessness, those who claim to be Christians in the last day but are practicing lawlessness, Christ will judge them with this terrible judgment. Uh, Moving on into the book of John, we see this in many places in the Gospel of John with the things that Christ says there as well. John chapter 1, verse 9. In the prologue of John, the very beginning, he declares who the Christ is and tells us that those who were his people did not recognize him. John 1, verse 9. It says, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Christ is the light who came into the world, but the world did not know him, and even his own, that is his own people, the people according to the flesh that he was born, the nation of Judah, they did not recognize him. They did not know him. They were God's people, but they didn't know the Lord who made them when he was among among them and in their midst. Uh, going to John chapter 2 now. John 2, 23. We see a similar statement from Jesus, or from John, about Jesus and how he viewed the people. John 2, 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. At the Passover, this is where the people of God would be. And it even says many believed in his name. But he, Jesus on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. Because he knew what was in their hearts, that they did not truly believe in him. They were not among his sheep, even though they claimed to be. Even though they claimed his name on their lips, and they said they believed in him. And then lastly, in John chapter 8, we see an emphatic claiming to belong to God when there could be no clear evidence that they do not belong to God. In John 8, verse 30, we see Jesus interacting with those who said they believed in him. But instead of doing the works of Abraham, they actually wanted to kill Christ. John 8, verse 30. Jesus says, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So right there we see that God, or or, sorry, Christ, um, was explaining to the people that if they really wanted to believe in him and truly belong to him and be his disciples, then they must continue in his word. And it does say that they believed in him, at least that they claimed to be, to believe in him. But if we go to verse 39, uh, verse 39, we'll see that they, they do not actually truly believe in Christ. John eight thirty nine. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, 
a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So these same people that came to believe in him and said that they believed in him wanted to kill him. But they said, we are Abraham's children. We have one father, God. They took the name of God on their lips while they had murderous intentions in their hearts. And not just any murder, but murder of the Christ, the God who, who made them, was standing in front of them in the flesh, and they wanted to murder him, and yet they took the name of God on their lips. And so Christ rightly, correctly tells them that, no, you are not of, your, of, of God, you are of your father, the devil. They claim to be God's people, but in fact, they belong to Satan. Returning to Hosea, we see in the next verse, Hosea 1.10, that if this is so, that God has made them not his people, then what of his promises? What of his promises to make a people for himself? And Hosea answers that question for us. Hosea 1.10, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. So how can, how can God say, yet, yet, though I have claimed that these are not my people, yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea. How can this be so if in, in chapter 1, verse 4, he said, I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And in verse 6, I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. How can both of these be true? Well, the reason why it's true is because Israel here does not mean Israel according to the flesh. Israel does not always mean Israel according to the flesh. Here, Israel means the elect, the elect of God from all ages, from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. And in that way, God keeps his promises because that was his promise from the beginning to make a people for himself from all tribes, all tongues, all nations, from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. That is the elect Israel, the true Israel. So let's prove that from Scripture, that this is indeed God's purpose and plan from the beginning. Returning to Genesis, Genesis 3.15. <clears throat> Genesis 3.15, we have the first proclamation of the gospel. After the sin of Adam and Eve, God makes a promise of the gospel. And this is before any tribes of the nation of Israel had come into existence. Genesis 3.15, God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. God says, I will put enmity between the serpent and between Eve, the woman. He is the one who puts enmity between the serpent and the woman, separating the wicked from the righteous. And how does he do that? Because of the seed of the woman. Because he puts enmity between the seed of Satan, the wicked, and her seed, who is Christ. Christ is the one who bruises Satan on the head, yet Satan only bruises him on the heel. And in Romans 16, 20, it says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. So this promise is for us as well. And this is God's promise from the beginning to make a people in Christ. And we know that this is his promise from the beginning, because in verse 20 of chapter 3, we see that Adam had this same faith. In Genesis 3.20, it says, Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The name Eve means life or living. And Adam <clears throat> named his wife Eve to show that he had faith that all of the living, all of the righteous would come from this seed of the woman. And so he knew and he had faith that God's people would still come. They would still come through Christ, uh, through this promise of the seed. Moving on to Genesis 4, and the, the very last verse, Genesis 4, 26, 
we see again God's people um, coming to the Lord even before the flood. Genesis 4.26. To Seth, to him also was uh, also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. There it says, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the same calling upon the name of the Lord that we see in Joel and in Romans 10, that all who call upon the name of the Lord, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. So here, men are beginning to call on the name of the Lord, righteous men. So this is, again, God's people here, even before the flood. Skipping ahead to Abraham in Genesis 12. After the flood and after the Tower of Babel, when God disperses of the people of the earth into different nations and tongues, immediately after that judgment, and shortly after, God gives a promise, a promise of his people coming out from the dispersing of the wicked people. Genesis 12, verse 1. This is God's promise to Abraham, which we obtain as well through Christ. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. From the very beginning of, of Abraham and the, the workings that God did with Abraham, from the very beginning he promises that in Abraham, that is in Christ who was to come from Abraham, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So from the very beginning, we should know, and the people of Israel should have known, that it was God's purpose to make a people for himself from all tribes, not just the nation of Israel. And that was said to Abraham, who was the father of Israel. Again to Abraham in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verse 5. The same promise is made by God to Abraham. And it's through this promise of the gospel, is the, this is the gospel that Abraham believed in. He believed in the Christ to come who would gather all people under himself. Genesis 15, verse 5. It says, And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to, them, said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Here, God promises that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars, if he could even count them. And through this promise of the gospel, Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. His, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness, his faith in Christ. He believed in the Lord who will make his descendants as many as the stars of heaven. This is the same promise in Hosea 1.10, that the number of the sons of Israel will be as the sand of the seashore. The sand of the seashore and the number of the stars is the same. It's innumerable. It's incalculable. And this is God's promise for his people. And then the last one with Abraham, Genesis 22. Genesis 22.15, after um, God tests Abraham by telling him to offer Isaac on the altar, and Abraham passes the test, we have the angel of the Lord, a, a pre-incarnate Christ, visiting Abraham and re reiterating these promises. Genesis uh, twenty-two fifteen. 15. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. There, God is swearing an oath so that Abraham could be sure, and we who believe in the promises could be absolutely sure, as it says in Hebrews 6, because he has sworn by himself, and no one is greater than God, that God will bless Abraham and will multiply his seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And his seed will possess the gate of his enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Christ, the seed of Abraham, the one who came from Abraham, he is the one who multiplies his descendants as many as the stars in the heavens, as many as 
the grains of sand on the seashore, and he's the one who possesses the gates of his enemies. And it's in him that we, the Gentiles, can be blessed. It's in him that we are blessed. One more in the Old Testament, Isaiah 56. After the law has been given, after the nation has been formed, in Isaiah 56, Isaiah tells us the same thing, the same promise that God will make a people, he will join them to his people Israel. He will make a people out of Gentiles. Isaiah 56, verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah 56, 1, it says, Thus says the Lord, Preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial in a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. So he says that the foreigner in verse 3, who has joined himself to the Lord, the foreigner, the alien, the one who does not belong to the sons of Israel, he has joined himself to the Lord. But God gives him a promise. Do not say that, that I'm going to separate you from my people. God will join the foreigner to his people, the one who does what he says, even the eunuch. And we know that this was even fulfilled with the Ethiopian eunuch when Philip uh, pronounced the gospel to him in, in the book of Acts. <clears throat> and then also in, in verse six, it says, also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. These are the ones who are the true people of the Lord. Whether they are foreigners or whether they, from, they are from the people of Israel, if they are joining themselves to the Lord, if they minister to him, if they love the name of the Lord, if they are his servants, they are God's people. And he, God, makes them joyful because he is the one who made them his people. It wasn't through any works of their own, but it was by his doing. And this, in, in verse 7 was quoted by Christ when he cleansed the temple in Matthew 21, 13. Christ says that my house will be called a house of prayer for all the people. So Christ made the same declaration as well. The dispersed of Israel is not just people of the nation of Israel, but it's from all tribes, from all tongues, and from all nations. Now let's see some verses in the New Testament that, that show that this is indeed the correct interpretation of the true Israel, the Israel of God, the elect. First, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, John 4.20, Christ makes this declaration to the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. In John 4.20, when he's speaking with the woman who was a sinful woman who had many, uh, many husbands, yet he preached the gospel to her, and part of the gospel was that in a due time, God will call people from, from all nations. John 4, verse 20. Uh, or we'll start in verse 19. John four nineteen. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He says the hour is coming, and now is. It has always been true that God has wanted worshipers who worship 
in spirit and truth. But an hour is coming where that will be made evident clearly outwardly when they will no longer come to Jerusalem to worship, but they will worship in spirit and truth in all nations, all calling upon the name of the Lord, all calling upon Christ, the Messiah. Then moving on to Galatians, Paul also makes this point explicitly in Galatians 6, verse 16, that even the word Israel, the name Israel, can and does refer to those who belong to God, even if they are Gentiles. In Galatians 6, 16, Paul says this, Galatians 6, 16, And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. Here he calls Israel the Israel of God, and this he is writing to Gentiles, to Galatians, to both Jews and Gentiles. To those who walk by this rule, the rule of faith that he was preaching, he declared peace and mercy upon them, and peace and mercy upon the Israel of God. The true Israel of God are those who have faith in Christ and who walk according to his ways. So even the name Israel can be applied to Gentiles. And then lastly, let's turn back to Romans 9. We'll we'll see in Romans 9 that, again, God makes this point. And we'll also see that he quotes uh, Hosea 1.10 as well to prove his point. So that there can be no doubt that God's promise of making a people for himself was to be from all tribes, tongues, and nations. Romans 9, verse 1. He says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. So the people of Israel had all of these blessings, and even the Christ was to come from them. But it is not as though the word of God had failed when he said that they are not his people, because they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Just because they descended from Israel does not mean they are the people of God. And they are not all children because they are descended from Abraham. But it says in verse 7, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. And then in verse 8, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. The people of God are those who are the children of of the promise, not children of the flesh. And let's skip down to verse uh, 22 to show that Paul is quoting our passage in Hosea to prove his point. Romans 9, 22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. There in verse 25, he quotes Hosea 2.23. And then in Romans 9.26, he quotes Hosea 1.10. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. But he says in verse 24 that even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. So it's not just the people of Israel that are called, who are called God's people, but it's even from among Gentiles. And this is God's plan and purpose from the beginning. And then returning back to Hosea, 
in the rest of the verse, it says, you are not my people. Uh, sorry, where it was said to them, you are not my people. It will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. There is what we've been talking about that. Where it was said, you are not my people, the Gentiles, they were not called the people of God. There it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. This is what Paul quoted in Romans 9, that even from among Gentiles, God will call a people for himself. And this is his plan uh, from the beginning. Moving on to Hosea 1, 11. It says, And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Furthering his point that the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. God will not leave his people desolate. He will gather them together. And for what purpose? They will appoint for themselves one leader. Now, who is that one leader but Christ himself? Christ is our leader. He is the head of the church. He is the one um, in whom the consummation of the ages is. And it says that they will appoint for themselves, not as if they're the ones who made Christ Christ, but they are the ones who are willingly um, and freely uh, believing in him because of God's grace in their hearts, making them new. As it says in Psalm 110, that they, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. And they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. The word Jezreel means God sows. And so he gives us a picture of a harvest, that they will go up from the land and the harvest will be great. Just as when a harvest um, is plentiful and everyone rejoices in it, so will the harvest be of the people of God. Because God will make a great harvest. It will be a great day. And they will go up and they will belong to Christ and believe in him and follow him as God gathers them together. <clears throat> we'll see this in a, in a few passages. In Matthew 24, we see this picture of gathering as well. Matthew 24, 29. That God is gathering his people and he will gather his people at, in the end. Matthew 24, verse 29. Christ is speaking and he says, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with, great, with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So there in verse 31, this is the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, when there will be many signs. <clears throat> but when he comes, all the tribes of, of the earth will mourn, and he will come in glory. And in verse 31, he says, he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect. He will gather his people, his, his people who belong to him from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other, showing that it encompasses the whole, encompasses the whole globe from one end to the other. The four winds are the four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. God's people will be gathered uh, in Christ. In Luke 10, Luke 10, verse 1, we also see this picture of, of a harvest, that Christ uses that metaphor of a harvest as well, that the people of God are like a harvest for God. They are the first fruits. They are the ones whom God is pleased with as the first fruits and the harvest are a great joy to everyone who participates in it. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, when Christ is about to send the 70 out on on uh, evangelism, on preaching the gospel to the places where he would go. Luke 10, verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So there he says in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is the harvest 
of the elect, the harvest of gathering the elect through the preaching of the gospel so that they may believe and come to Christ. And so Christ compares it to a harvest just like it does in, in Hosea 1.10 or 1.11 that great will be the harvest. It's plentiful. And so we must pray to the Lord so that the uh, we will be sent out as laborers to participate in that harvest. In John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 14, Christ also shows us, as it says in Hosea 1.11, that there will be one leader, and Christ will be their leader. He will be the one shepherd that gathers them together. In John 10, verse 14, he says this, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know, know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Christ says, I am the good shepherd. He knows those who are his, and those who are his know him. They hear his voice, and they follow him. Just as the Father knows Christ, and Christ knows the Father perfectly, they he will know his people and his people will know him. And why do they know him? Because he laid down his life for the sheep. It's through his work, through his blood, that they are cleansed and brought near. And then he says in verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and that is the Gentiles. He has sheep in this fold, in the nation of Judah, the Jews, but he has sheep of another fold. Those are the Gentiles, and he will bring them in also. It's, per it's a perfect plan. It's one that will be accomplished. They will hear his voice, and they, they will all, both Jews and Gentiles, become one flock with one shepherd. <clears throat> Returning back to Hosea. So then we have, both in the Old and New Testament, that God's plan from the beginning was to make a people for himself, to gather the Jews and Gentiles, to gather them together under the appointment of, of one leader, who is Christ. And then his harvest of his elect will be great. So then, <clears throat> with this uh, promise of redemption and, and grace, we have Hosea 2, verse 1, where God tells Hosea to, tell to, the, to say this to the elect. He says, Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. So here the vertical component is that Hosea is commanded by God to tell the elect from God that God is saying, you are my people and you have compassion. He is declaring compassion on the elect and declaring that his people or that the elect are his people. And this is a great, a great grace, a great act of redemption that God would make us, those who were his enemies, his people, and he would have compassion upon us. And he says, say to your brothers and to your sisters, it's, it does not matter, male or female, slave or free, but those who trust in the Lord, who, who fasten themselves to the Lord, they are his people, and God has compassion on them. And let's look at some passages in both Old and New Testament again to show that um, this, both this vertical and this horizontal component um, is fulfilled and is for us as well. Malachi 3. Malachi 3.16. When we know who the elect are, that is, who are the people of God are, we rejoice in them and we, we work with them. Malachi 3.16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him, for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And on that day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. It says in verse 16, A book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. These are the people of the Lord, the one who fear his name. And he says in verse 17, they will be mine. That is, they will be his people. And on the day 
that I prepare my own possession. They are at God's possession. If we belong to the Lord, we are his possession. He will spare us as a man spares his own son who serves him. And then in verse 18, the horizontal component between the people of God. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. We know the difference between them and we uh, live accordingly. And now to the New Testament, uh, Titus, Titus chapter 2. That once again, that in Christ, we become his people through his compassion. In Titus 2, 11, um, Paul declares us the grace of God in making us a godly people. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He says in verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. And what does the grace of God do? It brings salvation to all men, meaning Jew and Gentile. And what does it do? It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And as a result of us living this way, what do we do? In verse 13, we look for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, our head, our, our leader, our shepherd. And why do we look to him? Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. His grace, his compassion, by giving himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, accomplishes something. It accomplishes the purification of us, of making us a people for his own possession and zealous for good deeds. Then lastly, in Revelation, showing the fulfillment of these things at the end, that again, this was God's uh, plan and purpose. Revelation 7, Revelation 7, 9, we will see the great multitude, the tribe from all tribes, tongues, and nations, that the, the number of the sons of Israel was beyond count. Revelation 7, verse 9. He says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So he says, A great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. This is the promise of God's people. These are God's people that are as numerous as the sand on the sea, and as numerous as the stars of the heavens. And then in Revelation 21, in the new heavens and new earth, in the completion of everything, we see that God's promise is ultimately fulfilled by dwelling among them and being their God. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Revelation 21, 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So the holy city, the new Jerusalem, symbolizing the people of God, as it says, as a bride adorned for her husband, a a permanent marriage, not like the 
the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel, but a permanent one. It says in verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. God is their God and they will be his people. This is our promise. This is the one that we, this is the promise we must hold to our hope that God will be among us and that we will be his people without um, any crying, any mourning, any death, any pain for the old things have passed away. These are the new things that we are looking forward to um, in the new heavens and new earth where only righteousness dwells, where we can dwell with the Lord without any, any sin in us or in the rest of the people of God. And this, was my, this is what we must have our hope in. And this is what Hosea is telling us to have our hope in to trust that God's people will come, they will be numerous, and they will be um, gathered together under Christ uh, through his grace. May the word of Christ richly dwell within us. Amen.